0: schwartz at leading edge parenting radio and i'm so excited to share this episode with you today because we are going to be speaking with an infant sleep coach and i have worked with so many parents who struggle they struggle with the with their little ones they oh, what does the parent want Do the parent wants to just lie their little baby down say good night sweet darling watch their little one just fall off to dreamy land and sleep many, many hours so mommy and daddy can get a peaceful set of sleep in as well. And unfortunately, it doesn't always work like that. So I am invited my guest today, McCall Gordon. She has a master's degree and she is the senior lecturer at the Department of Psychology at Antioch University. She's the CEO of Little Live Wires And she is a certified gentle sleep coach. Sometimes I want to say, yeah, we all can use a gentle sleep coach, even even us adults. So it's my pleasure to welcome McCall to our show
1: today. Hi, McCall. Hi. Hi, Sandy. Good to talk to you.
0: So I was thrilled to know that there's somebody who really specializes in helping parents figure out who this little darling is and what this little angel that's come into their world needs from them so that the child can fall off to sleep and um and fall back to sleep if they're woken in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. so that everybody in the household can get some some good sleep hours there mm-hmm. and um it's it's a real challenge for the parents whose little one just struggles mm-hmm. So I know that you have a way of thinking so mm-hmm. that you can help parents think about their child and then some strategies to help them. Sure. Tell us. Tell us what you Well,
1: you're tell about. us. Everything. Just tell go. Us <laughs> Quick, hurry. <laughs> uh, well, I think the important piece for and especially for your listeners that I also focus on is the role of temperament and sleep because I would say um ne- very nearly a 100% of the parents that come to me ultimately for, um, sleep, uh, help have babies that are a little more alert, a little more sense, a little, or a lot, I should say, or a lot more alert, sensitive, intense. Um, they have, they're just, a li- they just burn a little brighter and therefore sleep is almost always a hundred percent of the time harder for these folks. People who have those, those sleeping babies who, who are the ones I I always feel so bad. A parent will say, Oh yeah, my friend's got a two month old and that baby's sleeping 12 hours straight. She just puts it in the crib and it goes to sleep. What is she doing to make that happen? And I'm like that she could stand on her head and probably that baby would sleep. So it has to do with a baby's regulatory system, the maturity and also how much they're taking in, you know, mellow babies kind of go, eh, whatever you know, I'll sleep now. That's fine. You know, we're in the middle of a parade, but I'll just go to sleep. You know, but little alert babies are going to be looking at everything and they're going to be taking it all in and they're not going to want to go to sleep. And
0: I imagine it's harder for their system to uh, relax into a sleep state, right? Because they're they're so actively taking so much in and we don't even know what their body's doing with it. And we just, please just go lie down and take a nap so mommy yeah. can get things right. done right
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so i mean we'll get all into this but there's it's very complex in terms of um uh the parenting experience of these little kids because i did a a, a large scale survey of parents i got i got 850 finished surveys um asking about temperament and one section of it was asking about temperament and sleep and And of course, um, scores on this temperament, the kind of temperament that we're talking about, predicted more troubles with sleep, more work um, getting that baby to nap, you know, shorter sleep times, more night wakings. Um, Parents had tried more interventions. They've tried more things with less success than, than parents of the mellower children. So these parents are working hard And these little guys require more from parents around the clock. It is not just at night. So these parents are white. So it's kind of sad that the parents kind of that need the rest the most are getting the least of it. And, you know, I can speak from my own experience.
0: Uh, our firstborn child came into the world with a temperament that that's a hard wiring. It's a predisposition yeah. toward the way you uh, yeah. take the world in. So he came in hardwired. I always use that expression. Um, nobody did it. It's just the yeah. way yeah. he came in. Yeah. And sleep was like a cinch for me. And mm-hmm. I would look at my friends who were struggling and think, oh, if only they would do what I was doing, you know, because <laughs> I had an ego 44 years ago before I knew everything I know now. That's how old I my brain is, you know. And then a few years later, his sister Melissa, who works with me, yeah. I mean, because of all we've been through together, yes, 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 to know about this. She came in hardwired, totally different. She yeah. was the baby you were talking about. Yeah. She took the world in and it rattled her whole being. Totally, totally. She had such a hard time soothing herself during a wake state, yeah. let alone soothing herself when she was exhausted and tired and couldn't allow herself totally. to fall asleep. And I just tried everything. Yeah. And ego was crushed because <laughs> it was like, my- The other thing was I was worried about it. Like, what's wrong with this baby? Yes. If it all worked for her brother, yes. What's wrong with her that it's not working for her? Yes. Yes. yes, yeah. And the parents are. It's such. It's a terrible struggle. Oh yeah.
1: And in fact, I did find in the survey that the that that the higher, the level of difficulty of the temperament. And I hate using the word difficulty. I don't, I'm just trying to, we're going to, yeah, the challenge that the, the more sort of intense, alert, sensitive, the baby was the worse job the parent thought they were doing. Yes. So it eroded their sense of competence because they don't fact, they don't. I really have found that parents don't factor in sleep, even though, I mean, don't factor in temperament even though when you, uh, so I work for a service where I talk to a lot of parents of very small babies, very small babies, like sometimes 11 days old, but often six weeks, eight weeks, two months old. um, And I start probing about temperament and you'd be surprised at how many people have those indicators, those like really early indicators of a more alert temperament, um, even right after birth, if you start really asking them. Yeah. So, um, so they don't, they don't really make the connection. Um, but what you said about these kids, just not being able to manage the load. I, I, I sort of say, look, if I gave you a 10 pound bag of rice, you'd, you'd be able to hold it and walk around. No problem. If I gave you a hundred pound sack of concrete, you'd be on the floor, right? Like that's really heavy. You, you don't have it Maybe you do. I shouldn't. I shouldn't assume. Maybe you yeah. <laughs> can. Maybe you can't carry out a hundred-pound sack of concrete. Um, uh but it would floor you, right? And that's that's the analogy for these little kids is that they the the load of uh, input sensory input that they're taking in is just bigger. So it's not that they have poorer capacity. I think if they just have more to manage. If that yes. makes sense. Yes. from yeah. and as you said.
0: It's often I'm just gonna turn off my hand.
1: Sorry, I put on a space okay. heater in here because it's cold. It, it's
0: often obvious with my daughter, it was obvious from the moment she came home from the hospital. Yes. And true. and um I immediately felt inadequate. I went from feeling like this incredibly brilliant parent with the firstborn to feeling Totally inadequate, cry, yeah. hiding and crying. I yeah. didn't want anybody to know how. I also had trouble nursing her because that was also part of, you know, her hardwiring. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember by the time she was four years old, I went for parenting classes. You know, yeah. it's funny because that's what I do. But yeah. I, it was it was just so upsetting to me yeah. that I couldn't figure her out. So let's help them, McCall. Let's. Maybe we want to start with temperament for parents. Yeah. A, a lot of specialists mix up personality and temperament, and I, yeah. I kind of mm-hmm. like to distinguish it by saying personality kind of develops, but temperament
1: yeah. you come into the world hardwired. Right, right, right. So those first signals that I often um, well, let me just back up one second, and we'll get, get right to that. I, I, I totally. Um, hear from parents whose second child was a surprise like this. Um, But it also imagine when it's your first child and you have all these images of what parenting is going to be like, and you hear, you have a baby group and you see what other people are going through and you you have no frame of reference. Um, These parents are also, I think, really at risk for um, you know, some, some just mental health challenges just because it's exhausting and you really then you really feel like you don't know what you're doing right so um it, it's it's not easy it, either way that you cut it it's not easy and even if you have a first one well a lot of these folks are um a lot of these kids are only children <laughs> interestingly say, if it's your first
0: <laughs> In my first
1: i'm not sure i would have wanted to go through it again I know, I know so the early what we find what i found the um, early signs that parents just say routinely, it's like, they just have to say one of these things. And I go, Oh, okay, here we go. It's a temperament issue. Um, Eyes, and it doesn't have to be these things, but it's just, these are common eyes wide open after birth. So they don't have that kind of foggy, you know, unfocused newborn gaze that we imagine they are Eyes wide open, laser focused. In fact, parents will go, "Wow, it kind of freaked me out the way my tiny little hours-old baby was looking at me so intently." Mm. So almost like they're they come in with their switches on, right? Um, another one is often um, the nurses will say something about the baby, <laughs> either, "Ooh, that one's." you know, they, that one tells you what they want or, you know, something about their crying or or how loud they are, or something like that. So those are the, like, some of the ones right after birth. And then the next one is sleep issues. Like, you know, you expect a newborn baby to just be cr- crashed out all the time. Um, and these babies often aren't. Now, sometimes that's just that normal newborn. Do they have reflux? Or is there nursing issues? You know, stuff happens, but, Um, but these babies seem to right out of the gate, not sleep super well. Um, it's like, you know, a newborn baby has like an off switch. Like when they get overwhelmed, their brain literally powers them down. And it's like, these babies don't have that switch. They just, they just want to keep interacting. They want to keep looking at the world. Can I you a
0: question? I I don't Mm -hmm. want to interrupt, but I think this might be helpful. I remember Melissa had day night all mixed up. So she slept all day long and then she was up all night crying. Oh, is that typical?
1: Does that happen? Um, it depends. That sometimes is just a baby thing. I haven't heard it. I mean, I've heard that that happens. What what I more often hear that's like a little red flag is when a ba- when a parent will say, "Yeah, my baby's 2 months old and sleeps like, you know, maybe naps 10 minutes at a time, maybe four times a day," and which is just And then is up all night as well. Like the parents really have it coming and going. Some day night confusion is normal till the gland and the brain comes online and helps that circadian rhythm. But, um, but I think these babies often also have reflux or eczema. It's almost like their system is more sensitive and reacts to things. So we do see, um, uh, so in my um, survey, I asked about these little anecdotal things, like, well, people say this happens, but let's see if it's actually true. Um, and so I did find that that temperament predicted a higher likelihood of eczema, reflux, apnea, uh, food intolerances. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Maybe colic, which is kind of like reflux a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like, again, their whole body is wired, uh, to keep them awake in a way. Um, so, so yeah, so these kids just have a thinner barrier between their inner and outer world, I think, which immediately means, I mean, you know, when an adult says, oh, I'm a light sleeper, me, I am. What does that mean? What, when we, when we say, oh, I'm a light sleeper, what are we talking about? We're saying, any little noise bothers me or wakes, keeps me awake. I have to have just the right pajamas and no wrinkles and I have to have all the hair up off my neck and I have to, I I have to have white noise. I have to have this like perfect situation to sleep. Otherwise I can't sleep. And babies are, can be exactly that way. They they just can't tell us what's bugging them. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So I think
0: it's really important that, one parent's understand they didn't do anything wrong. The baby didn't do anything wrong. This just hardwiring like the color of the baby's eyes. Right. You know, right. If you you, right. put, you put the things in the bingo. You know, basket. You mix it around, and the the letters and numbers come out. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. The other thing is that the parents haven't done anything wrong. They're not, uh, you know, and they don't have to listen to everybody in their family and everybody they know for advice because yeah. everyone will give them something else and make them crazy.
1: So yeah. Yes. Well, it's, but the advice I have to say. Parents uh, maybe are going to their family and friends, but most often it's books and the internet. And and I tell it's it's I'm I'm redesigning my website, and one of the one of the lead ideas is that the books weren't written about your child, because people will say, oh, I tried this method, and I tried that method, and I tried this other method, then I tried something else, and none of it worked. What's the matter with me? What am I doing wrong? And when you say it is not you, because all those methods were not, they never take temperament into account ever, ever, ever. And I bet you a hundred dollars that, that all virtually all the people who don't have success at these sleep methods are kids with, you know, sensitive, intense, alert children who, who really need a, a, a different approach that uh, and, and parents aren't let off the hook by any of that advice, because the advice basically says this works 100 percent of the time. And if it doesn't work, you're doing it wrong. OK,
0: so I'd like any parent who's listening take a deep breath, really just take a deep, right. deep breath. Um, and I I know I get a little I get a little spiritual in my advice, but I I just want to say this. If this baby came into your life, you're the perfect parent for this baby. And this baby is the perfect child for you because together you're going to learn, you're going to grow, you're going to, you know, you are helping each other in some deep and important way. And maybe, it, you know, this baby is going to push you as my child did, push me to grow and learn more about myself as as well as um you know how because for many of us we have egos and we want to look like we're doing a good job and it's really and 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 we worry you know being a parent yeah. the first thing that happens is we start worrying so yeah. let's help parents unworry so much McCall. Right. let's give them you know something that that may help them here
1: yeah well the first thing uh, you know I'll just share what i learned from you know my i have two both of my children were uh, intense and, and in different ways. Like one came in, one, an, an extroverted sensitive, alert, intense one, and the other one was more of an introverted sensitive, you know. So I had it kind of coming and going. Um, but I remember the day that I was like, why are my kids so intense? And then I thought, oh my God, am I intense? <laughs> like I honestly, I had had a lot of my own sensitivity and intensity, I think, socialized out of me in a way. Um, And I was completely out of touch with my own uh, temperament wiring. And I'm sure that's the way it is with many, many parents. I mean, how many of us, you know, would get a label of like, oh, you're just too sensitive, you know? And so you're not, you're not, you, you don't, you don't have a, a friendship with those qualities in yourself. So I've learned more about my own temperament in this process. Um, you know, sometimes for good and sometimes not so much. Like sometimes I wish I didn't know about it because it, you know, it 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 brings out everything in us parents. That's why but I, if I had- these
0: kids force. Us- really they, they kind of push us to look in the mirror and, and learn about ourselves and it can be beautiful. It's not something,
1: you know, to fear. It it can be lovely. Right. So the, you know, when I generally tell parents, I just had a a consult with a mom of a, I think he was three and a half months old and they were on it. Like they were, they were those parents that are on it. They have, they have read everything. They have tried everything. They've tweaked, they've, they've poked, they've done everything. And they, and still they felt like sleep wasn't working. And when I was able to talk to them about temperament, you could almost see the weight lifting off of their shoulders to say, Oh, this has to do with who my baby is, is I'm not doing anything wrong. So parents should know that if they are listening and they tried you know, some kind of sleep training, for example, and it was horrible or it didn't work or sleep is still bad. It is uh, almost a hundred percent about how difficult it is, how difficult sleep is for these kids and not whether you're doing something wrong. So, um, so let's, uh, should we, do you want to talk about sort of sleep? I call them sleep hacks. Um, yeah. Or do we want to talk about yeah, go ahead and just launch into yeah. that. Okay. We can
0: always, you know, we can always continue to weave the pieces of temperament that that yeah, impact totally. why the child is struggling. Right.
1: Okay. So the uh and and I'm talking really too about, you know, this I may say babies, but really the stuff I talk about goes right on through uh childhood. I work with kids under six once they start getting to be five, six, especially these sensitive ones, and I would say once they start getting to be four, five, six, their little intelligent brains are what generally what gets in the way of sleep. So then we start getting fears or um, little stories that they've told, you know, they start, their brain starts being really active and and it's more about them controlling their thoughts. So even though some of these sleep strategies might work for these you know, alert, sensitive, smart uh, little ones, um, I, these are really strategies for kids, I would say under four. Yes, um, because yeah.
0: there's layering. There's, I, when I work, I, I explain to parents there's layering. The layering to explain behavior always begins with temperament. Right. Right. The child gets older. Now you have to layer on what are they experiencing in their awake life? Yeah. Well,
1: and these are active brains, right? These little guys are are a lot of times, like I said, really smart or divergent or creative and their little minds can run away with them at bedtime. And then you're really talking about, well, let's start teaching them strategies for how to calm down that little monkey brain, right? Like how to, that's a different strategy um, than just, you know, how to get them to go to sleep. Cause we all know we cannot make a child go to sleep. <laughs> you can't do it. Yeah, I wish yeah, it could. One place a parent is
0: totally really powerless. So, right, right. so let's talk yeah. with the infants, you know, like, a, yeah. Like early, early when they're
1: infants. Yeah. Yeah. And we really talk about in a crib versus in a bed. So number one, folks, try to put off a toddler bed till they're three, at least three years old, because uh, earlier than that, they can, like if they're in their, you know, two, two, two and a half they can that developmentally, they can understand the word no or stay in your bed, but they don't have the ability to use that to control their body. So they'll be like, I'm not supposed to get out of bed, not and as they're walking across the room. So if you can keep them in contained in a crib until three, that's that's super good. Okay. So, what so let's just look at, at sleep and I'll tell you the pitfalls where people where that it's like you just don't even know you're falling in them because it's not straightforward. So one thing is it's that um, I'll hear parents say, the first thing as a coach, I look at are naps because a well-rested baby is going to sleep better at night. Uh, and, and these alert sensitive kids do not like napping. They just, it's like, they just, it's like kryptonite for them. They hate it. Um, and a lot of times parents will go, well, I, they just didn't look tired ha <laughs> These little guys give terrible sleepy, if any, if any sleepy signals. If you wait and God, maybe they yawn, that's a late signal. So we say you got to catch these little guys before they're overtired because if a child and especially these guys, they get like a super duper booster rocket second wind. If you miss that tiny little lull in their, in their cycle, they're into the second wind. It's like you've just given them a cup of coffee and then the next nap is going to be even harder to get. So have an understanding of how much time your child can be awake for their age. Um, Under six months, it may only be 90 minutes and then it goes to two hours and then maybe it goes to three hours more closer to a year. It's not really that long. Um, but get those naps in, uh, as in any way you can. I mean, if, if your baby is only sleeps for 10 minutes in the crib, then you may need to hold them or put them in a stroller or whatever. And that's fine. Cause we want, we want them to be well-rested. Um, uh, so, the, so that's helping them manage that alertness during the day, um, The other other trap that parents uh, get into, and it's so understandable because I was there. I was 100% here. Um, With these intense kids, any change you make, they will notice its intensity and its perceptiveness. So those are two characteristics of temperament, right? Um, They notice that you're making a change and they are gonna tell you (laughs) that they notice. So a lot of times parents will change something and there will be huge blowback, especially kids who are really, you know, vocal. There's going to be a lot of blowback. Um, Unfortunately, you have to push through the blowback. And we can, you know, if we want to get into sort of what that means, um, it doesn't mean leaving them alone in a room. You don't have to do that. You can stay with them. You can help them calm down, but know that they're going to hate it. I give a long speech to all all my clients about what the first night of sleep training is going to look like. Um, And I say, look, it's going to look horrible. It's going to get worse before it gets better because these little guys will tell you they don't like the new process. Um, And that's okay. It's okay for them not to like it, especially um, if what you're doing currently is unsustainable. And believe me, I've had parents, boy, I've had parents whose, whose child has to fall asleep with their hand or fingers in the parent's mouth to go to sleep. And we are just like, you know, or, or I had a dad who had to walk on a treadmill with his baby to get them to go to sleep. So these parents have really <laughs> tied themselves in some knots to, to just get a little bit of sleep. And if you try to unknot that it's going to take a while to get a new pattern going. Um, and that I would say, you know, Sandy, that's, that's the hardest part for parents. I mean, you can imagine if you're already exhausted to do anything, Oh, you'll just do anything, even though, you know, you're
0: starting a bad routine here, but you'll just do it because
1: right. You just wanted to get desperate. You're totally desperate. And also I would say you're probably kind of shell-shocked too. And we, we got to think about that. So when I talk to my fellow coaches about parents of of these kids, you know, the advice that's out there is often quite parent shaming. It's, um, you know, they talk about parents caving, right? Like, Oh, you tried to do it and then you cave. Like the parent is some kind of, I don't know, pushover. Um, or in the literature sometimes they call parents who don't want their babies to cry they call them tear sensitive it's all very like put downy right mm-hmm. um and what i tell my you know colleagues is like look these parents are trying harder around the clock and there's probably more crying and more upset and more meltdowns of course they're going to be they're going to want to minimize crying because you just I mean I'm a sensitive person and crying activates everything I have. So it's the parent, it's so hard to see your child
0: in stress and right. just want to do anything to 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 help this child not to right. crying.
1: Yeah, if you're a sensitive parent, absolutely, absolutely. And um And again, a lot of these kids will will cry like they're being stuck with a pin. You know, the books all say, oh, well, they'll fuss. They'll fuss for 10 or 15 minutes. These kids don't fuss. The ones that that I, you know, that I'm talking about, they're not fussers, they're, they will, they let you know in no uncertain terms. And that means often, and, and they also have, you know, don't have a good break on their emotion. So parents, another little term that parents will say is, oh, if I don't get to her it, within like two seconds, it'll take me 45 minutes to get her calmed back down. They go, they call, they say zero to 60, right? Yeah. Nothing to freaking out. So that there's also that in the mix. They they just and most parents, that's why they're uh really stuck about sleep, is they say, look, I know, and I this is where I was as well 26 years ago. Um, I I personally can't do crying it out because I'm a sensitive person, number one. And two, I know my my child is intense and uh, persistent. She will cry for three straight hours and never give up ever ever. So yeah. that's that option is just off the table. And intensity and persistence is part of the temperament
0: totally yes. yeah 100% how persistent a child is right not bad
1: traits it's
0: just the way you're trying to get them to go to
1: exactly, yeah work. you're like look I want you to be persistent it's just really inconvenient right now yeah. yeah totally it's it's really difficult because again you get worn down as a parent you get really worn down and the amount of will it's it takes sometimes to change these patterns uh can be can be daunting for sure um But what I tell parents is that if you can hang out with the pushback for a couple of nights, and and again, I'm talking about a a gradual responsive way of hanging in there. Um, These little kids also pick up on patterns really well. So if you can establish the pattern, they will perceive it and they will settle in even maybe even better than, than mellower kids. Um, The problem is, is that parents of their confidence is so eroded that they try something, their child freaks out. They go, well, this isn't working. I'm just going to nurse them to sleep. And then the next night when they try it again, it's worse than the night before. And I'll tell you why. You probably know why, but this is another little like sleep hack for these parents. If if you try for two hours, let's say, God forbid, to get your child to go to sleep and then you just nurse them, you say, okay, this isn't working. I'm just going to nurse them to sleep and we'll try again tomorrow. What you've just done is you've put nursing on the table it's on the table as a potential outcome for whatever it is you're doing. So the next night, when you think you're just starting over, you're actually starting about 10 steps behind the starting line. Um, because your child knows that that little cookie is out there somewhere. If they, if they just work for it.
0: Yes. So, and I want to say it's so important for me to say this, your child's not bad your child no. is not in, in their mind saying I'm gonna to start to manipulate I'm gonna to start to, no. to manipulate my mom it's, yeah. it's what happens is
1: it's yeah they know the well it's what they they know what's so they know what's easy and that's the thing is I say to parents I'm like look nursing and rocking to sleep to, to you know for as long as you feel like you want to do it is totally fine. And again I really want to also emphasize I'm talking about babies six months and up. Trying to sleep train a baby under six months is really not so you can do it, but it's not really supported by research. I don't really do it because there's just too much going on, too much going on. So we're talking about post six months. Um, And even then, if it's working for you, you can do it. Parents get to decide what's a problem, not the books. So if it's working for you and you've gotten it into a sweet spot where you're okay with it, like, don't even worry about it. Um, uh but but oh, now I lost my thought so um
0: can I ask you a question? Yeah because Yeah. asking too many questions. no, this is great. So so I remember um as a parent when I ran childcare centers and we had to put children to sleep,
1: yeah,
0: you know, watching my own grandchildren with sleep, parents do things like, Rocking, whether it's in your arms or mm-hmm. or in a, in a stroller in a carriage, the mm-hmm. rocking, the movement, the mm-hmm. uh, swing. I know mm-hmm. there's all kinds of controversy through yeah. the yeah. years about you know putting a child in a swing to give them the motion. My mm-hmm. son would drive his kids around in the car yeah. for half an hour and then yeah. sit in the car in the driveway during the yeah. day while yeah. baby was sleeping because yeah. just to get them to sleep. Uh, so my question to you is. Do, do you say to parents, whatever works for you those first six months, no one's judging you. However, are they setting up a bigger problem to they are? No. Okay. No.
1: Talk about that. No, because so, so that's what all the books say. Oh, you better start earlier. You're going to prevent all, and you can prevent all these problems. Well, first of all, there's literally no research on that. Um, in fact, a lot of the, um, the sleep train, the sleep interventions that they've tested sort of with babies under six months are very minimal. They're very tiny. And most of them show no difference between the groups just a month or two later. So it's a, it doesn't last. It's the books will say, Oh, if you do sleep training at three months, they, they make you feel like you'll never have to do it again. And that is a lie. (laughs) That's just false because at three months, the baby's about to go through the four month regression, which totally tanks sleep for just about every child. And then they go well, through all the- Talk about that. The, the four month regression, sure. Who don't so, know about it. Yeah, so let me go back, because sleep develops as the brain develops, and sleep is a regulatory function. So um, that's where the sensory component comes in. We're trying to manage and regulate all this stuff that's coming in from the outside. and then. In order to sleep, you have to be able to turn your attention away from the outside to your inside and go to sleep. Okay. That's a whole function. When people talk about self-soothing in a two month old, they're acting like it's just a skill that's readily available to every child. But think about what you or I do when we're really upset, you get really upset. And we say, well, what do you do when you're really upset? Oh, I call my friend, I have a glass of wine, I go on a run, I, I, I clean the house. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can do because we have the mental and motor and attentional capacities to do that stuff. A two-month-old baby's got virtually nothing to, to, to help themselves self-soothe. At that age, it's usually sucking, right? That's all they've got. And if they're swaddled, they can't even do that. Right, like unless they have the pacifier, so babies are really limited in what they can do in the early months. Even even in the whole first year, they they get better at it, but but they're not great, and they need they need a lot of help. So for sure, um, oh, I was going to say the four month regression has to do with this the most massive burst of brain development a child will have. There's only two big bursts: four months and adolescence. In these two periods, the brain undergoes a radical shift. And, and it's in, at four months, it's a burst of growth of new neurons, new connections, new everything. So the, the baby basically just kind of goes haywire a little bit. And even babies who were sleeping really well at four months start waking a lot, crying at bedtime, not napping because their brain going crazy. Um, and so trying to sleep train at four months is kind of the worst time to try because the baby has even fewer resources available for sleep than they usually do. Right. Um, so, so doing what works and often motion sleep really works in arm sleep really works. It's better to have a well rested baby. Um, and if we're talking about sensitivity, motion, motion, really helps these guys. These are the little ones um, who are, I call them bouncers, right? The minute I hear a parent is like, yeah, we're bouncing him on the yoga ball. I go, okay, sensitive kid, because they need that. They seem to prefer that really active, big movement in order to calm down. So these kids are even worse at lying by themselves and just falling asleep. They really need a lot of, of help. And they probably will for a while because they just, again, they have more to manage. Um, And it's it's hard for them to disconnect from the outside world in order to go to sleep. So we have to help them.
0: I just felt myself take this deep breath. I felt like I was breathing for all the parents who just give yourself permission that this is the way it is. And sometimes it's hard if you have another child or two other children. It's really hard. um, But... I always say, you're going to have to put energy and time into this anyway. Isn't it better to do it in a soothing way and relaxing way, yeah. and carrying on and you know being upset about
1: it? It's really, it's really true. With, this is what your baby needs. Yeah. Now there's an, another flip side to some of this too, where sometimes we're doing so much to get them to sleep especially with the sensory sensitive ones, we're actually over, we're overdoing. So So that's another talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So some kids, um, they need that help. They need that motion. And then sleep is great. Some kids, um, parents are just throwing the kitchen sink at the problem and then we're overstimulating our, our child. So I recently, um, had a client with, I think a 10 month old and at 10 months the baby's supposed to be napping about two and a half hours and sleeping about 11 at night and this little guy mom had to put him in a backpack and vacuum so she could just get him some sleep in the backpack and he wasn't sleeping and he was waking he was he'd go to bed and then he'd wake up at like two in the morning and she said a couple of nights he just stayed up after two in the morning i mean this was a i mean he just was like firing on all cylinders and, sh- and of course, I mean, that's just not a normal behavior. And They were doing everything they could. Um, and, and mom and dad were absolutely exhausted because they had to do this whole like two hour process to get into bed. Um, and I think unknowingly, sometimes uh, these little guys, our attempts to help soothe them are actually engaging them. And for little ones who are really social that's what keeps them awake, right? So you're, you doing all this stuff keeps them engaged in the world. And when we were able to get this little guy in his room for naps, um, we, we reduced the parental interaction at bedtime. I mean, he was the fastest turnaround I've ever seen. I mean, literally in maybe four days, he was sleeping through the night. I can imagine
0: there are parents out there now, their mouths are wide open. Like, I know. oh my God, oh my God, I'm doing all this stuff. And yeah. I'm getting against. So, yeah.
1: so let me talk about a couple of those, because there are things we do as parents that are like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do at bedtime. You're supposed to give the baby, the child a bath and you're supposed to read them a book. Okay. Let's think about, those are two sensory events, right? Um, they're, our kids and i always ask parents i'm like does the bath calm them down or wake them up
0: mm-hmm. because
1: for some kids a bath is it wakes them up so then i'm like okay if if it's party time after the bath maybe we don't do a bath at bedtime maybe we do it during the day um reading books is the same way if you have a child who's extremely visually engaged and or verbal a book is going to be like catnip it's going to be like a match to the you know, to the Tinder, they're going to be like, you know, I'm, I'm waking up. I had parents who did this lovely thing. It was so sweet to their three-year-old. They would, they would lie with their three-year-old and tell them a story about the day. They'd make up a story about something that happened that day, which is absolutely lovely. But for this particular child, it got her going on this mental tangent that then kept her awake for the next two hours. So we had to really reduce the verbal input at bedtime because it was the thing that kind of kept enticing her to stay awake, right? That's fascinating. And so
0: really it's about you helping the parents figure out who this child is, their yeah. child, because what might work for their friend's child, it could be totally different. Yeah, so yeah. So it's a stimulant rather than a relaxer. Right. So what, right. You, would, what would you suggest to parents for whom this typical that we think yeah. is the right way, how would it's you- not working? That?
1: Yeah. So we just look at, you know, um, and, and I, I end up talking a lot about sensory processing. I'm sure you do too. Um, and, and, and I'm not an occupational therapist, but I wish I was because I, I think some of the sensory processing stuff is a little squirrely to figure out, you know, it's often the opposite of what you think. Um, there's, there's a couple, there's a really good book that I like, uh, called Understanding Your Baby's Sensory Signals, um, by Angie Voss, V-O-S-S. And it's literally just a checklist and it, and it says, my my baby loves being upside down, and you go to that page, and it tells you what the sensory yeah. phenomenon is that being upside down, or hates having hair brushed, or whatever it is. This these weird little behaviors that indicate a sensory something. Um, so I just say if if you if, if a book completely lights your even baby's brain on fire. Then maybe we do a music or we do a song. We do something auditory or you do a massage, which is tactile. Just understand what wakes your child up and what helps them calm down. And we always look at, you know, visual, auditory, the vestibular. So sometimes, sometimes kids need to actually jump around a little bit before bed, um, or, um, kinesthetic there's like those processing areas and it's good for parents to kind of if they have a kid that they're having a hard time figuring out what's going what's up then I I I always look at the sensory piece like what are you doing at bedtime and are you doing something that's that's working against your your goal yeah um we talk for old kids who are old enough I talk about bedtime yoga we talk about mindfulness activities if they're old enough to understand some of that stuff there's all kinds of things that help them disconnect from the world and start slowing down. Which is really what you just said. That's the ultimate
0: goal, is to help them disc It's the same thing with grownups. You totally. know, friends who say, I can't fall asleep. And I yeah. think about, I have a whole ritual
1: for yeah. my to, to help right. them disconnect
0: so we, from the world. Yeah,
1: another part of temperament is um, difficulty with transitions. And yes. you can imagine, stopping playing and going to bed is a whole transition. So we say give them good amount of wind down time. If you know leading up to bedtime, maybe you start putting lights on a dimmer and you start lowering the lights. You start talking a little more softly. Um, you know, for really verbal kids, we say let's really dumb down, like dumb down. I mean I mean more like, you know, especially at bedtime, don't get into a big conversation you know, just use very repetitive kind of, you know, boring words. You just really signal that it's time to start shutting out the, the input and, and being able to go to sleep um, at bedtime. Um, and then in terms of how to respond, you know, that's a whole big, oh, you know, controversy debate. <clears throat> um, I tell parents, do something that you know you can do and just do that. So, for example, if you if you say, "Look, I I really don't want to leave my baby. I don't want to leave the room." That's great. That's no problem. Um, but just make sure you're always going in the direction of doing less. So, say you need a baby who's never never slept in the crib or never can, or just huge problems. So, that baby, you may want to hold them till they're ninety nine percent asleep and then transfer them. But just remember always every day or two cut down or increase the how awake they are when they go in really slow, really slow. Okay. Just, but always moving forward, never go backwards. Um, This is true for co-sleeping. If you're it's, I know lots of parents who have co-slept. It it can work great, but then, then you have parents who are light sleepers and nobody's sleeping. Right. And they're like, no, this is not working. Now we got to take this sensitive kid from our bed into their own bed. There are ways of doing that, but but the idea is then if they're gonna be in their room, you may wanna go sleep in there for a couple of days, but, but but it never goes backwards. The baby never comes back or the child never comes back in the bed because it's too confusing for these guys. And they because they're so smart and perceptive, they don't get just for tonight. They'll because the next night they'll go, Well, wait a minute. If it was okay last night, why isn't it okay tonight? Right. And, and again, it's
0: not like it? they're intellectually doing this. They just know, they just sense they it. They just get that, it. That they it get it. Waiting for me. So yeah. I'll, just,
1: I'll just keep crying till that thing that I know is waiting for me. They how pick they up the discrepancy, yeah. right? They pick, they get it. They really get it. And that's why the other hack that I talk about is almost rigid consistency. Like, if you are going to read two books it is two books it is never three it is never one it's always two books like you really and the sequ- the steps are always in the same order and you just don't wiggle from it now mellower kids can take wiggling cuz they're kind of like okay whatever you know mm-hmm. no big deal but these smart little you know whippersnappers um they notice with, uh, variations in what you're doing. And it, it can throw them off more than even just like, okay, I'm going to work for it. That, that happens. But also then when they don't know what the process is, it's almost like it bugs them even more.
0: Yeah. It it encourages them them to do the very thing that we don't want them to do, which is now the brain's all in gear of maybe I can work another book. Maybe I can get a glass of water. Maybe I can get my mother to do
1: I think it also, the uncertainty of the process also throws them even more. It just distresses them. Like what's going to happen. I don't know. And so that's the other piece is that um, when in the middle of the night, sometimes, so say sometimes the baby gets fed, sometimes they don't, sometimes whatever, you know, sometimes dad comes, sometimes mom's come. Just getting things into a predictable order, really helps everybody. And that's
0: what you do when you work with parents is you help them figure out the temperament, you know, figure out what type of, um, order would work mm -hmm. best for this type child and then help the parents figure out this order so that they can, everybody feels better when it's like that.
1: Right. And it, and it, yeah. And a lot of times for parents, honestly, um, Just giving them a little time, just a little taste of success is like, is just life-changing because I think you can really feel like you are not in charge of this child. (laughs)
0: And the child's letting you know that early on, boy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in in our generation, I think I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm generalizing, but I think I'm, I think I'm trying, right. Is that children were socialized to be compliant. Right. Right. To be absolutely compliant. Now I knew I didn't necessarily want my kids to have the same. I wanted them to have a voice. I wanted them to know that I was responding to their needs and to their, whoever they were. But there were many, many, many times where I was like, my children's will is absolutely bigger than mine. I can't, I can't hold up under, under that level of of pushback, and, and I so I—I'm
0: uh, yeah, I'm sorry. We also learned yeah. that punishments and shame and the techniques our parents' generation use is not emotionally healthy. So it might have gotten the the result they wanted immediately, but we wound up with a lot of psychological and emotional baggage as a result. We don't, we don't really want to do that. that.
1: Yeah. Now the now the flip side of that is is that you also don't want to under respond. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, as parents, we're always somehow trying to do things differently. Um, but there, you know, I tell, I tell parents that I, I started out, um, really my philosophy was to respond to my kids needs to respond, 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 respond. And I said, I just followed their cues. I followed their cues. And then I said, and I followed them right off a cliff because, because they're they, as much as I wanted to give them, they were ready to. To accept. And there, there were many points where I'm like, I don't think I'm a good mom today because I I am so tired. And in those situations, we have to ask our kids to bend a little bit. So healthy
0: is part of that
1: as well. Right. Right. It's it, yeah. And you you it's really, really hard um, because it's not a Brady Bunch moment with these kids. You don't give them a little talk and they go, okay, mama, and, you know, go on their marriage. It's a, it's a big deal. And, you know, parents can only do what they're going to do, but having at least really predictable routines, really predictable responses is just going to help everybody. I think. But before we go, because we're getting near the,
0: just a quick question, which probably doesn't have a quick answer.
1: Okay. (laughs) Do you
0: believe in letting the babies cry it out?
1: Yeah. So I will tell you, well, this could be another whole whole discussion. So I do not believe in it as the go-to approach. Now, uh, there are many, many, many parents with mellow babies who do experience that 10 or 15 minutes of crying over three nights. It's no big deal, no harm, no foul. It doesn't really happen with these kids. These are the kids whose parents say, my the first night my baby cried solid for 90 minutes lost its voice threw up whatever it is that advice is really not helpful for for these parents and um i also have parents who are using it way too young so uh, once again there is literally no research on using crying it out in babies under six months um so there's a lot of advice out there saying to start as early as two months and it's just not supported by research in terms of development. Um, uh, so parents should know there are options. There are a lot, there are options in sleep training. You do not have to use crying it out. The approach I use uh, is um, I was trained by Kim West who is the sleep lady and she does a, pr- a process that's gradual. So you start right out by giving a lot of support And you gradually wean that out every several days for over the course of a couple of weeks. Um, You can also do the no cry sleep solution, which is basically the fading it out. It's just even slower. Uh, The only downside of that is that sometimes the progress is so slow. Parents don't really see improvement, but it does. It does work. But you could also just choose something you know you can do that works and do that consistently and then just start whatever it is, weaning it out. These kids sometimes are also not quite ready for sleep training till a little bit later than other babies. So just read your kid. And if you try it and it doesn't work, just wait and, you know, wait another, you know, several weeks to try it again. The only time I feel like a hypocrite and say, Hey, maybe you should leave the room is when there are parents with sensitive kids who will tell me my baby just seems pissed off with me standing there and not doing what I used to be doing. He seems madder that I'm standing there. And again, this is that perceptive piece, right? Like the child sees you there and says, you're not doing what you usually do. And that discrepancy is bugging me. And so then the most sensitive thing you can do is leave the room for a minute or 30 seconds or 10 seconds and see if your baby calms down. Some babies do like their space, um, but it's I only do that as a last resort when you know there's no sense in you standing there if you're not being helpful, right? Right. So then the, then the-
0: yeah. Once again, what you're saying is it's different for every baby, and the important yeah. thing is learning how to read what works the best for your baby. And eventually, right. consistency is the answer. It's to Consistency
1: is the answer. And the, the other thing is that, you know, people are trying to sell books, t- trying to sell sleep books. There's a million of them out there. And people really think that there are, are like 20 different methods. This is my other big banner message. There's only one method. And that's changing the pattern of how a baby goes to sleep. You can do it fast, you can do it slow but it's, the, it's all the same function. You're trying to alter the pattern of how a baby says, so say a six month old baby, learns a pattern of, oh, this is how humans go to sleep. I get nursed and rocked, and then somehow I end up in my crib, right? And so when I wake up, I need to be nursed and rocked because that's that's the sequence of steps. Mm-hmm. It's not a crutch, it's not a problem, it's, it's just a pattern. So in order to get better sleep we have to alter the pattern. And and however that happens. Oh so
0: helpful. I could you tell the listeners if they do want to work with you or
1: work yeah. more how would they find out about you? Oh boy. I'm right in the middle of changing my website. So I'll tell you my old website it was called thatfirstyear.com. That one's up and running. I'm changing that to littlelivewires.com but that new website's not quite up yet. So they can contact me there. Um, or on Facebook, if you look for that first year, um, there's a, um, or little live wires, their Facebook pages. I also have a group. Uh, I just started a Facebook group called little Livewire parent group. Um, so if people want to, um, find me there, it's, we're going to discuss all about working on sleep with these intense, sensitive little guys. Yeah. And these intense, sensitive little ones
0: continue to grow. That's where Melissa and I come in, because one, I know, right? You know, when, when they have other issues, because usually sleep is not their only issue. And so we help right. the parents understand during the day now, how do you deal with these challenges of the oh, behavior? It's the so day? true. Which
1: actually impact uh, yeah.
0: getting them to sleep and helping everybody sleep. So, Yeah,
1: because I tell parents, temperament does not go away. It doesn't go away. And it's a long road. I say parenting is a long road. Pace yourself. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Then I tell them from my perspective, it's only 18
0: years. You know, you got a lot more life. So these 18 years are intense. But. Treasure. Really?
1: Only 18? Only- <laughs> and then they're off in their own
0: world looking at you like, you know, what's wrong with you, mom and dad? You get your I, back uh, together. I'm out here. Right. So it's been right. a pleasure. It's been oh, a to speak with you, McCall. And to you all too. those parents out there with these uh, highly sensitive children, the ones who pick up everything, we understand you. And so if you need support, please reach out. Paul's um, yeah. there to help you with the sleep. Melissa and I are there to help you. Um, Everything else. With the all the other behaviors. Yeah. And to soothe you too. This right. is Sandy Schwartz at Leading Edge Parenting saying thank you for joining us and have a wonderful